Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 24 of Lady in Black. I'm Danielle. And I'm McKenna. So if you guys listened to last week's episode, you already know that we have shifted out of our demon days of September, and we are now in Asylum October. I don't know if I'm excited for this or not. (laughs) I can't tell how I feel yet. Yeah. So last week, we covered Pavalia Island, and it was... It was a lot. Yeah, to say the least. So this one's also going to be a lot, but in a different way. I watched like three different shows about this and none of them fucked with me like Pavalia Island did, which is a good thing. Yeah, that's a good thing. I mean, it's a good start at least. It's a good start. So we are going to go to Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Okay, I'm ready for that one. Do you know a lot about it? It feels like one that you probably know quite a bit about. Yeah, I've definitely heard quite a bit about it. I'm sure we're going to like dive into some stuff that I haven't heard, but I've heard quite a bit about it. Okay, perfect. So it is located in Weston, West Virginia, and it was constructed from 1858 to 1881. It's a long time. And it is the largest hand-cut stone masonry building in North America. And it is allegedly the second largest in the world, only after the Kremlin in Moscow. It's massive. Yeah, it is. That's impressive. Um, So it was a combination of a Gothic revival and a Tudor revival style. And it was built by an architect from Baltimore named Richard Snowden Andrews. And he was pretty fucking prominent. Um, So it was built to follow the Kirkbride model for asylums. Do you know what that model is? No, I have no idea. Okay. So Thomas Story Kirkbride was an American psychiatrist who believed that the environment had a huge impact on mental health. Which it does. Yeah, makes sense. So his design led to lots of natural light and air circulation. And they all had this like bat wing style floor plan with numerous wings sprawling out from the center. So essentially you had the center here and then you would have these wings here, wings here, wings here. So they were like staggered coming off of that main building so that those wings were only partially attached rather than being like stacked so that you got more sunlight coming through. Yeah, for more rooms. That makes sense. Good concept. Um, And when most people think of asylums, they typically think of like a dark, stale, prison-like, and the Kirkbride model was attempting to do the exact opposite with it. It was supposed to be more like light, bright, and airy. I mean, that's a great concept. Great concept. So the hospital was authorized by the Virginia General Assembly in the 1850s, and it was named the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. So construction began in 1858, and it was originally being built by prisoners, specifically black prisoners. Of course. Yes. So later on, they brought stonemasons from Germany and Ireland to complete the building. So clearly, they're trying to do this hand-cut stone building. You can't have people that have no skills. No. No, you can't. So they had to bring in skilled workers. So construction halted because of the Civil War. So in 1861, Virginia seceded from the rest of the United States, and they demanded the unused hospital funds be returned to use for defense spending. 
but the 7th Ohio Volunteer Infantry seized the money in the bank and delivered it to Wheeling, West Virginia to establish the recognized government of Virginia or the reorganized government of Virginia that was aligned with the North. So they were kind of just like, fuck, you know, we're going to steal it and give it to somebody else. So in 1862, the reorganized government of Virginia reallocated the money to resume construction. So when West Virginia became a state in 1863, the hospital was actually renamed to the West Virginia Hospital for the Insane. Okay. So it does have three names in its lifetime, but Trans-Allegheny was the original, and Trans-Allegheny is the one that it is most commonly known as now. Okay, yeah, I mean, that's the one I know it as. Exactly. So construction was completed in 1881, with a 20-foot central clock tower finishing in 1871 and segregated rooms for patients of color being finished in 1873. I hate that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like every other hospital of its kind, it was supposed to be self-sufficient. It housed a farm, dairy cows, waterworks, and three cemeteries. Three? Three cemeteries. You needed three. Three cemeteries when you built this thing? Well, not when they built it, but that's what they got to. Oh, okay. So the hospital reached in total with all of their land 666 acres. That is massive. You're just skipping over the 666? I'm trying to avoid it. Okay, okay. I was like, did that not click? No, I'm trying to avoid that. (laughs) Okay. Um, So it also housed... 13 buildings. (laughs) What are y'all doing? So three cemeteries, 13 buildings, 666 acres. And apparently inside, just like what the, like the acreage of the building itself is 66 acres. Why? I just want, why? I think it's just a really fucked coincidence. (laughs) That doesn't seem like a coincidence to me. So... I mean, it is, I think. If you think back at this time, they were so superstitious. They would not have done this on purpose. Fair enough, but... Even today, businesses usually... Like, no business would do that on purpose. Unless they were trying to build, like, a haunt. Like, a haunted location. Like, they were trying to build something that was, like, an attraction. Fair. But nobody is going to take 666 acres To build an attraction, that's too much effort. That is a lot of effort. (laughs) So the very first patients were admitted on October of 1864, so well before it was completed. And before we get into the history, we are going to go over the poster of admissions inside of the building. So this is all of the reasons that you might be admitted into an asylum at this time. Oh boy, I feel like this is not going to be good. It's, but. it's not good. Okay. Okay. So, intemperance and business trouble, kicked in the head by a horse, hereditary dis, uh, predisposition, ill treatment by husband, imagine, um, imaginary female trouble, hysteria, immoral life, imprisonment, Jealousy and religion, laziness, marriage of son, 
masturbation and syphilis, masturbation for 30 years, um, medicine to prevent con uh, conception, a.k.a. somebody took birth control and got put in there, um, menstrual deranged, uh, mental excitement, novel reading. You read a book, you're going to the asylum. Uh, nymphomania, opium habit, overaction of the mind, which probably is like anxiety, overstudy of religion, overtaxing mental powers, parents were cousins, uh, periodical fits, tobacco and masturbation, political excitement, politics, religious enthusiasm, fever and loss of lawsuit, fits and desertion of husband, asthma, bad company, bad habits and political excitement, bad whiskey, bloody flux, brain fever, business nerves, uh, carbonic acid gas, congestion of brain, death of sons in war, uh, decoyed into the army, deranged masturbation, desertion by husband, um, dissolute habits, domestic affliction, domestic trouble, dropsy, egotism, epileptic fits, excessive sexual abuse, excitement as officer, exposure and uh, hereditary, exposure and quackery, exposure in army, fever and jealousy, frightening fire, suppressed masturbation, suppression of menzies, the war, time of life, so elderly, um, uterine derangement, venereal excess, um, excesses, vicious vices, woman trouble, superstition, uh, shooting of daughter, smallpox, snuff eating for two years, uh, spinal irritation, gathering in the head, greediness, grief, gunshot wound, hard study, rumor of husband murder, Salvation Army, uh, I think it's Scarlatina, uh, seduction and disappointment, self-abuse, which would be like self-harm, um, sexual abuse and stimulants, sexual derangement, false confinement, feebleness of intellect, um, sorry, of intellect, fell from horse in war, female disease, dissipation of nerves. So literally whatever the fuck they wanted it to be, they could make it work. That list is a mile and a half long. And I'm going to tell you now, my ass would have been there. hundred percent. I would have been right beside you. Yeah. I, there's no, sh I don't think I know. I have the asthmas. I don't think I know a single person who would not have gotten locked up. No. Like, it's fucking wild. That's crazy. It, literally anything. Yes. Anything. Well, and like the reason that it was like this is because a man could admit his wife for any reason 
And if he decided that he never wanted to bring her home because he like started a new relationship or whatever, she would just remain as a ward of the state. Are you so literally me? because divorce is not really a thing. It's just like, mm, I'll just drop her at, I'll just drop her at the asylum and like not my problem anymore. She's a ward of the state. Yeah. I'm just going to like drop her off at the asylum and call it a day. Peace out. Literally. And go find a new wife. <laughs> it's so fucked. What? The, it's what? So, it's so fucked. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. I don't, I don't understand. I, I don't either. Um, Yeah. Children also often accompanied their mothers, and there was a lot of children born inside the hospital that were raised there. I'm not surprised. No. Um, There was a lot of children that were dropped off in front of the hospital as orphans, and a big part of the hospital's history was written by people who should never have been there in the first place. I'm sure there was a lot of people that should have never been there. Yeah, like... You fell off your horse in the war. Time to take you to Trans-Allegheny. Exactly. Oh, you you have woman problems? Just going to take you take you over here real quick. You're going to the insane asylum. Bye. And like, remember, that's a life sentence, basically. You're not yeah, you're really not. getting out of there. No, there's no way. So, yeah. So in 1913, it was renamed the Weston State Hospital because it is in Weston, West Virginia. So that was the longest standing name, but it's not, it's just not known for that. Um, and so originally Trans-Allegheny was built to house 250 people. By 1880, right after it opened, it held 717 patients. In 1938, it reached um, 1,661. 1949, it reached 1,800 and in the 1950s, it reached 2,600 people. I mean, I'm not surprised. Their list of admissions is at least 200 things long. Yeah. I mean, come on. So, like, excessive overcrowding. Absolutely. 250 people, but you packed 2,600 of them in there. 2,000 like, people in that space. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, no surprise, a 1938 survey Um showed that the hospital was housing epileptics, alcoholics, drug addicts, and non-educable um, mental defectives, aka people that had like mental illness. Um, and it was also known that patients um, who could not be controlled were just locked inside of cage cages. Of course they were. Yeah. You don't have the staff to care for that many people. Of course no. they were. No. So... In 1949, poor sanitation, insufficient furniture, lighting, and heat um, issues were reported by the Charleston Gazette, uh, Gazette in every aspect of the building, except one. So a wing had to be rebuilt after a fire was started in it by a patient in 1935, and they rebuilt it, and it was luxurious comparatively luxurious so clearly we have overpopulation we have lack of proper care we have little access to sanitation um so we have a high death toll and there's no clear record of deaths because there didn't have to be um historians estimate between 400 and 500 and that's on the low end that's the low that's end. the low end 
God. That makes me sick. Yeah. I don't, I, that is so high. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was open for a very long time, but that is still stupidly high. That is still crazy high. Um, so it gets worse because Weston State Hospital became the home of the West Virginia Lobotomy Project in the 1950s, which means we are going to introduce Walter Freeman. Freeman. I think I've heard of him. I'm sure that 99% of people listening have heard of him. He's an absolute trash bag of a human being. Yeah. And I'm going to give you the lowdown because we can't talk about Trans-Allegheny without talking about Walter Freeman. No, we can't. It just like makes me uncomfortable is the only thing. But Mm -hmm. So Walter Jackson Freeman II was born on November 14th, 1895, which means he's a Scorpio. (laughs) Of course, he's a goddamn Scorpio. <laughs> I knew you. I knew you Scorpios were crazy. Don't compare me to him. <laughs> oh, please, God, don't compare me to him. Um, so he was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and his grandfather was a renowned surgeon in the Civil War, and his father was also a doctor. So Freeman attended Yale from 1912 to 1916, and then he studied neurology at the University of Pennsylvania Medical School. So he studied um, William Spiller and basically idolized him for his work in the new field of neurological science. So Freeman did apply for a position that would work alongside Spiller, but he was rejected. So instead, he moved to Washington, D.C., and he became the first neurologist in the city. So he obtained his PhD in neuropathology pretty quickly, and he snagged the position as head of the neuro- oh my god, head of the neurology department at George Washington University. I mean, those are pretty high achievements. Like, yes, those are pretty big yeah. accomplishments. Hundred percent, hundred percent. But the reason why he is an actual bag of hot garbage. Um, is because he's the inventor of the lobotomy. I knew that was coming. Mm-hmm. I knew that was coming. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. That's why you've heard of him. Mm-hmm. So he took it. He took ideas from um, a- uh, Agus Moni in Portugal, um, who taught him how to make, or like how to take small coilings of a patient's frontal lobe um, to help like treat mental illness. And Freeman took this and decided to change it to a full sever of the connection between the frontal lobe lobe and the thalamus. But he wasn't a neurosurgeon. So he asked James Watts um, to help him. One year after the very first leucotomy, which was what Moni did, um, Freeman walked Watts through the very first prefrontal, oh my fucking God prefrontal lobotomy in the United States. It was done on a housewife named Alice Hood Hammett from Topeka, Kansas. A housewife? A housewife. Um, So this was on September 14th of 1936. And by November, Freeman and Watts had done 20 cases, including follow-up operations. So by 1942, they had performed over 200, and they published results stating that 63% of patients improved, 
23% were unchanged, and 14% were worse. Now here's where where the story (laughs) gets worse. Because after 10 years of prefrontal lobotomies, Freeman learned about an Italian doctor named Amaro um, Fiamberti, who would perform operations on the brain through the eye socket. So, of course, fucking Freeman took this and created the transorbital lobotomy, a.k.a. the ice pick lobotomy. No, 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 no. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So, for those of you that don't know how this was done, I will tell you. But if you do not want to hear it because you don't want to, which I understand, just skip forward a little bit. And I'm so sorry, McKenna. You can stick your fingers in your ears if you have to. <laughs> I might have to. I don't like this. It gives me shivers. I'm going to try and do it as least gory as possible because I think it's fucking horrific. It is. So the ice pick lobotomy was performed by placing a metal pick in the corner of each eye socket. Um, and then that was hammered through the bone with a mallet. Then it was swung back and forth to sever the connections from the prefrontal cortex to the frontal lobes. And the first one was completed on another housewife named uh, Sally Ellen um, Anesco. I hate this. I hate it. Literally just scrambling your brain through your eye socket. Through your, through your eye socket. Yeah. So to make all of this even worse, the transorbital orbitable <laughs> the transorbital lobotomy did not require a neurosurgeon to drill into the brain it also didn't require an operating room so in freeman's mind it did not require anesthesia no mm-hmm. you're kidding me nope no anesthesia for this so instead they would use electroconvulsive therapy to induce a seizure And James Watts then left the practice and he split from Freeman because of the cruelty and overuse of the transorbital. Why do I keep saying that? I don't know. (laughs) The transorbital lobotomy. Because it was being used in like every single psychiatric hospital that was overpopulated and understaffed. I hate that it got that big. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about how big it got. That's, That's gross. So Freeman then traveled the country performing lobotomies in, at mental institutions. President John F. Kennedy's sister, Rosemary Kennedy, also went under this procedure, and after, she was left with severe mental and physical disabilities. And this kind of thrust the fact that these were fucked up into the public eye, because she was more of a public figure. So he was charging $25 per lobotomy, and he performed around 4,000 in 23 states. But of those 4,000 lobotomies, 2,500 of those were using the ice pick method. Ew. Mm -hmm. So over half were done the most horrific, fucked up way possible. Probably almost all of those were without anesthetic as well. Like, Well, yeah, I mean, any of the ones that were done with the ice pick method, there was... There was no, there was, like, we're going to get into a little bit more about it, but, like, there was no anesthesia ever on the ice pick method. Ever. I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about the fact that none of this stuff is, like, sterile and, like, infection rates and things. Like, Mm -hmm. 
That's insane. Yes. So his final surgery was Helen Mortensen. She was a long-term patient, and she was on her third lobotomy with him. Her third? Her third. And she died of cerebral hemorrhage, as did about 100 other patients. And he was banned from performing surgery. Good. Yeah. But it took 4,000 of them for them to finally be like, nah, you're done, dude. I mean, it shouldn't have taken 4,000. Not even close. Should have never even happened to one. No. Like, it's so fucked up. It shouldn't have. So most patients had to be retaught how to eat, how to use the bathroom. Most of them relapsed. Most of them never recovered. And 15% died. Those are horrific Just because of that. Yeah. No, that's not good. That is not good. None of this is good. And in 1951, a patient at Iowa's Cherokee Mental Health Institute died when Freeman stopped for a photo during the procedure and the surgical instrument penetrated too far into the patient's brain. No. That is straight up murder. That is murder. Whenever he did these, it was like theatrical. He would allow people into the rooms to watch him do this. This guy is a psychopath. 100%. You don't you 100%. don't do that. No. No. So he also never wore gloves, never wore a mask, and he lobotomized 19 minors, including a 4-year-old child. A 4-year-old? A 4-year-old. I can't, I I don't even want to know, but I'm going to ask, see if you know the answer. Why a four-year-old child? Like Behavior what? issues. The kid is four yeah. years old. It's four. It's a four, it's going to have any, let's be honest here, any human being is going to have some behavioral issues. Yeah. Every human being. You're a human being. You are a human being. You have emotions. You will act on those at some point in your fucking life. But especially when you're four years old and your brain is not even remotely developed. Not even close. I'm sorry. Four-year-olds eat sand. I eat dirt at four, so. Same thing. But like, yeah, like (laughs) not established enough to say that that child needed that. Nobody needed this, but like not even fucking close. It's a four-year-old. It's a four-year-old. You should have never touched that child. Um, But luckily Freeman died. (laughs) So he died May 31st, 1972 because of complications from an operation he was having on cancer because he got cancer and fuck him. Fuck him. I mean, fuck him. (laughs) It could have been a more horrific death and I would have been more pleased, but I guess cancer will do. Just wish somebody would have lobotomized him. Seriously. Really badly. But trash bag. (laughs) Trash bag. (laughs) To say the in the nicest terms possible, trash bag. (laughs) Trash bag. So back to the asylum. Obviously, if it was home for the West Virginia Lobotomy Project, Walter performed a lot of lobotomies here. Um, there's pretty well proven 70 to 75. However, the number is believed to be much, much higher. I would assume it's much higher. It's, it's yes. much higher, yeah. Yeah. So aside from lobotomies, there were other therapies um, used on patients. Some were pretty good. They did have art therapy. They had performances like little plays and things like that um, that were good. Those were kind of forcibly placed because of the Kirkbride method. Kirkbride's whole method was like the building, the arts, things like that combined. 
But they also used, um, God, it's such a long word. It's a, it's a drug. Um, I'm going to use the other name cause there's two, um, Thorazine. I don't know if I said that right, but it was used to treat psychotic disorders. Um, but it was overprescribed because it would keep patients in a catatonic state. So essentially you're putting them in a coma. So Not quite, because they did use another thing for that. <laughs> so they used laudanum, um, which is an opiate that's for pain management, but they just prescribed that all the time because, again, laudanum is a sedative. It will make people fall asleep because it's what opiates do. Um, and they also used insulin shock therapy. What is that? You, I've never, heard, never of heard of this. No. Oh, it's so fucked. So it's also called um insulin coma therapy and it was when patients were repeatedly injected with large doses of insulin which would cause daily comas and they would do this over like several weeks I so like if you that. give somebody too much insulin they will go into a coma so they just did that all the time just to keep people knocked out yeah completely sedated so they didn't have to deal with them. don't have to deal with them um so They also used electroconvulsive therapy, a.k.a. shock therapy or electroshock therapy, whatever you want to call it. So ECT was a psychiatric treatment um, where a generalized seizure without muscular uh, convulsions was electrically induced to manage what they would call refractory mental disorders. So typically 70 to 120 volts are applied externally to the patient's head, resulting in approximately 800 um, milliamp, oh, fuck me, milliamperes. Is that the word? I don't know. I have to Google it. Approximately 800 uh, milliampers of direct current would pass between the electrodes for a duration of 100 milliseconds to six seconds, either from temple to temple or from front to back um, of like one side of the head. Um, However, only about 1% of the electrical current would actually cross through the skull into the brain because the skull impedance is about 100 times higher than the skin impedance. But it's still not fucking good. Electroshock therapy is one of my biggest fears. Are you serious? Yes. Oh, shit. I'm terrified of it. I hate it. It's one of my biggest fears, and it has been for a long time. I mean, that's fair. I feel like every depiction of it is so fucking horrific. That it's so horrific. It's really freaky. I'm like, do not Although, I feel me. like most, most, like, Hollywood versions of it aren't quite correct because they do have muscular convulsions yeah they do and if this is done properly you don't you're not supposed to but the fact that it was done improperly is probably what caused all of those convulsions like let's be honest this was probably not done properly fair that's fair so the treatment of mental illness started to change by the 1980s and that led to a decline in population And in February of 1986, 
then-Governor Arch Moore decided to build a new psychiatric facility elsewhere in the state and convert the Weston Hospital to a prison. Of course it was a prison. Well, <laughs> um, ultimately the new facility, which was the William R. Sharp Jr. Hospital, was built um, in Weston, and the old Weston State Hospital was simply closed in May 1994. Oh, so it wasn't a prison. No, they okay. didn't use it as a prison. It just shut down. However, it shut down the year I was born. And that really fucked me up. I mean, yeah, that seems like a really long time for it to have not been shut down. So I don't like that. No. And it like didn't necessarily even get shut down because of all of the bad shit they were doing. It was just shut down because they built a new one because the like they couldn't upkeep it anymore. Yeah. It had gone through too many years of neglect neglect to like be able to really run, like restore it essentially. So as the asylum kind of slowly declined, hundreds of patients um, suffered at the hands of overworked staff, um, staff in an overcrowded building. So there's too many people. There's not enough staff. The staff are working way too much. And a lot of patients also suffered at each other's hands. Because asylum staff um, were allowed to send patients to isolation if the patients were uncontrollable and even if they weren't. They just didn't want to deal with this patient that day. Solitary. Isolation. So some patients were kept in solitary confinement for days or even weeks at a time. And the isolation was so bad that one inmate who was a former boxer who suffered from injuries that rendered him emotionless and occasionally violent attempted to beat down the metal door that was like locking him in his solitary cell and he ripped the door off its hinges, left visible dents in the door, and once it was opened, he literally handed the destroyed door to the nurse and just walked back to his room calmly. He was just like absolutely not doing this. That is insane. Insane. And like you can see, because you can go there, you can see dents on the inside of these doors from patients that just beat these doors and they are solid metal. I believe it. I mean, I can't even imagine what these patients were like thinking and what was going through their minds, but I absolutely probably would have tried to beat down the door too. Yeah. So some people did get out of the asylum the asylum on their own, um, but most people died there. And the staff would notify next of kin when a patient passed away, but in most cases, family did not return to identify or take the bodies for burial. So patients who were not claimed by their families were assigned a number, buried in the cemetery, and given a simple gravestone that only had their number, their ID number on it. That was it. Not even their name. Not even their name. It was just a number. And over time, a lot of the gravestones were removed and repurposed. So today there is no way to identify the bodies buried in the asylum because there's not like clear death records. There's not this person was buried here. This person was yeah, buried. Yeah, there's no sort of marking Nothing. anywhere. Um, and something to note too is that patients were always buried. They were never cremated. Never? Never cremated. That's weird. So you have three distinct cemeteries. They've been able to trace between four and 500 graves. 
at least. But they repurposed these headstones. They have 666 acres to put bodies. Yeah, I'm sure there's... There's got to be more. There's got to be more. So like I said, you can go to the asylum today. Um, The current owner launched ghost tours to raise money for renovations. Um, They also have historic tours that leave like every hour on the hour. The paranormal tours leave every two hours. And um, the last like first floor tour leaves at 5 p.m. And the last fourth floor paranormal tour leaves at 4 p.m. But in October, um, they have several ghost hunts from 1130 p.m. till 6 a.m. They're $100 plus tax per person. And you can also do a private ghost hunt. Um, And you will get it from 9 p.m. And you're released at 5 a.m. It is $150 plus tax a person and need 10 people. And you'll either have to provide your own insurance or they have um, insurance offered for $250 to use. So we need more friends. (laughs) I have to make friends? We both need to make friends. (laughs) Oh, boy. Ten, nine, eight of them. Eight, yeah. Eight of them. Your math was not mathing. Eight. (laughs) Eight of them to drag. I mean, I don't even care if they want to participate. You can just sit on the floor by the front door and I will go investigate. If, what is it, eight eight other people want to sit with me by the front door and cry while you do your thing? You're just going to let me loose alone? Applications <laughs> are much appreciated because I will need emotional support. That's fair. That's fair. So that being said, are you ready to get into the reason why literally everybody is here? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Absolutely not. No. So we're doing it anyway. Um, there's a few well-known ghosts. Um, there's a little girl named Lily. She was born at the asylum. There's a man named Jesse who died of a heart attack in the bathtub. There are several Civil War soldiers. And there's a patient that was brutally murdered by his roommates. Which we're going to talk about him a lot. So I was reading an article, um, and this is like an excerpt from um, this article that was in the Washington uh, Washingtonian by Marissa M. Cascino, and it was titled, I spent the night in a haunted asylum, and I still can't explain what I saw. A mysterious flashlight, tales of murder, and other experiences at some of the region's most haunted destinations. So in this whole article about her overnight there, she did one of the ghost tours, Um She says she like met this older lady named Julia. So Julia and I set up in a room allegedly haunted by a spirit named Jim James. We placed a mag light on the floor and asked Jim to turn it on. The light was Julia's, but I inspected it and it seemed totally ordinary. A few beats passed, then it came on by itself. I offered Jim a cigarette to turn it back off. It went dark. Yikes. So intelligent. Yes, absolutely. So Lily is said to be very playful and people believe that she spent her entire life at the hospital. Um, So she was born there, whole nine. So she is known for her laughter and she is um, often very interested in playing games. Um, Some reports um, state that she will like roll a ball towards them. Um, and a lot of people that come into the asylum do have contact with her. So Dean, 
Dean is the patient who died um, and is in what is referred to as the bedpost murders. The bedpost murders. And we're going to get into this more. Um, it's, it's really fucked up. Um, but he's been known to spend time in the room where he died. So there's also just like all of your general claims, footsteps, knocking, voices, laughter, scratches, pushing, like things, anything you can think of. People have seen apparitions. People have seen footsteps appear in the dust when there's nobody there. Like there's crazy shit. So I was like, I need to get a full grasp on this shit. So I watched three different, three different episodes of people investigating Trans-Allegheny. Three? Yes. We're only going to talk about two of them. Okay. We're going to talk about Portals to Hell, my favy, and then my second favorite, Ghost Hunters. Okay. So we are actually going to start. I was going to start with Portals to Hell. No, I'm going to start with Portals to Hell. So um, the Portals to Hell episode is um, season one, episode six. So... They, their whole shtick is going to these locations that people claim is a portal to hell and they try to decide if it is or it isn't a portal to hell. So they're not necessarily going to prove or disprove hauntings. They're trying to like prove or disprove demons. Yeah. So it's a a different kind of concept. It's a different kind of concept and they are so good. They're very good at it. They're so good. Like I would love to investigate with them. Um, and they make a comment that I was like, oh, fuck. They're driving up and they say that for the patients, it was a literal portal to hell. And it was. Yeah, it was. It was 100% a portal to actual hell on earth for every people, that every person that walked through there. Yeah, I mean, it was living hell on earth. Yeah. And Jack is clearly nervous. Um, He has a child. And so he tends to be very, very nervous um, going into some darker hauntings because he does not want to bring anything home for his like to his child and like I also think Jack takes this very seriously because he grew up with this kind of shit because his dad is Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah. Yeah. Which I love. I know you do. You love it. <laughs> but um so they kind of, you know, talk about the hauntings. There's full body apparitions, scratches, pushing, footsteps, all nine. They also mentioned something that I did not find in like any of the articles that I read. The building is sandstone. Sandstone is primarily made up of quartz. Quartz, there's like a whole theory. It's called the stone tape theory. I might cover it someday if people want to. It won't be scary. It'll be more of like a sciencey episode. But the stone tape theory is that certain types of stone can record emotional traumatic events and then replay them over and over and over And another theory with the stone, like another portion of the stone tape theory is that the pain and suffering that resides within these stone buildings could create a portal. Oh, no. Yes. Yikes. So they are chatting about this and I'm sitting there and I was like, I did not even put two and two together that it is a hand cut sand stone building. Yeah, that's a monstrous building and with horrific history inside of it. And so many horrific things that happened. Yeah. So they meet Rebecca. She is one of the owners or she is the owner. I think it was her grandfather that purchased it um, initially. And she is the one that kind of like 
pushed for this tour thing to help raise money because she wants to renovate it. She clearly loves the building. She's a little freaked out by it, but she does really like it. So um, she is talking about Walter Freeman. And this is more recent that this episode came out. I think it was like 2019 or something. And she states that there was over 100 lobotomies. So that number went up. Yes. So mind you, they have continuously been doing research as part of their renovation of this building. So they most likely found more records. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, She also brings up that there was experimental torture of the patients. So she talks about Walter Freeman a little bit more and basically says that he would line them up without consent. Just bang them out. Same tools for each person. And he would just them through work his way through so they have kind of figured out how many bodies at this point there's three graveyards over 2100 bodies on the property that were not claimed or picked up no way so that is not deaths that is just the bodies that were not claimed and picked up by family that does not count any person that died there whose family actually gave them the decency to go get them yeah And, like, bury them themselves. Mm -hmm. So she leads to this area um, where a woman named Jane Harvey pops in. So people always hear the name Jane on this floor when they're conducting EVPs, when they're trying to, like, investigate. They will get the name Jane. So they found patient records from the 1890s. And in the historic book, there is a Jane Harvey who killed herself on that, most likely that floor. Yeah, probably that floor. So through different like psychics, things like that, they've determined that she went into her room, closed the door, sat on the bed, grabbed the sheet, tied it around her neck and to the bed, and then just leaned forward until she died. It is so hard It is so hard to harm yourself, but she was able to slowly suffocate herself with a bed sheet. The bed sheet. So fucked up. So, and it's not like she like hung herself from the ceiling or anything where you had gravity working against you. Because like typically with a hanging, your neck snaps and that's it severs your spinal cord, which kills you. You don't die of asphyxiation. No. And she committed suicide by asphyxiation. Which is awful. And it, I feel like it's hard to do. I feel like your body like gets to a point where it's fight or flight mode and most people like, fight to get out of it. Type of thing. 100%. Your natural instinct is to save yourself from getting hurt or getting like or dying. Yes. So she was able to like literally override her own brain mm-hmm. because clearly shit was that bad because she's back there in the 18, like the 1890s. That's, oh, that's, that's so, yeah. So then they go to Ward F and it was originally designed to have seven seclusion rooms for the most violent patients. She literally shows the damage from patients on these solid metal doors and these doors are original and they are fucked up. They're fucked up. I can only imagine like. Yeah. So then they go into bedpost murder room. So in the 1980s, 
two violent patients were placed in a room with a patient who was mentally ill. He was often referred to as the sweetest patient that they had. However, he was prone to violent outbursts. So after one of those outbursts, he was brought into the room. The other two patients were not nice people. Um, So they tied a sheet around his neck. They tossed it over the pipe on the ceiling and they would hoist him up until he passed out. Then they would let him down again. When he would come to, they would hoist him up again until he would pass out. Then they would drop him and they just kept doing it over and over and over to him. And then they kind of realized, shit, we're going to get in trouble for doing this. So they decided to lay him on the floor, place the foot of his metal bedpost on his head, and one of them held him in place while the other one jumped on the bed until it pierced his skull and brain. No. Mm -hmm. So he, this is the 1980s, so there's like good records of him. He was so sweet, he would spend most of his days coloring at the feet of nurses because he was basically an adult-sized child. So one of the men that killed him had recently passed away, and since he passed away, they've started to see a black figure outside of the ward that goes between the door of the ward to where the guests would visit. Yeah. So the fourth floor, fourth floor is the worst floor. And one of the wards, Ward T on the fourth floor is the most active by far. And it is immediate, makes people immediately uncomfortable when they walk in there. Every show that I watched, when somebody walked into that ward, they made a, every person made a comment. That's not good. Every person. Like in the ghost, the ghost hunters episode, Jay was like, I feel the most uncomfortable up here. Like he was like, I do not feel comfortable up here. And like Jack and Katrina both mentioned that they did not feel comfortable up there. So something's going on. Yeah, something's going on for sure. So people get touched on the fourth floor. Few people have gotten uh, scratched and they actually interview a woman named Valerie, who's one of the tour guides. So she was sitting up there with some people on a tour and noticed um, that her back was burning. So she found that she had an abrasion on the right side of her spine that was three to four inches long and one inch wide. And it was like burning. And they showed pictures of it. It looks like a burn. It looks like a burn. And she went up there. um, So it was visible for four days. And the night after This burn appeared on her body. She was up there doing another tour. She felt a burning on her arm. So she put her flashlight on it and her and another one of the guides watched three welts appear on her arm. Just appear on her arm. They just watched it happen. Yeah. And so they were kind of like, why the fuck do you think this happened? And she says that she thinks that she overstayed her welcome on that floor. They're like, get the fuck out. Yeah. And so, and she's like, there is something nasty up here. So there's also a blob-like shadow thing with like a tentacle almost that people have reported kind of all over the building, but it is primarily seen on the fourth floor. And I'm not even shitting you. And they were talking about this. The only thing that I could picture was those goddamn arms from uh, Pavelia. Oh, no. That's all I could imagine. No. 
So Jack is fucking nervous. I would be too. <laughs> and day two starts. And in walks Katrina. And she's like, hey, Jack, guess what? They One of their associate producers, Hannah, um, found an article about the murder. David James Mad- Mason, who was 25, James Woods, who was 30, killed a man named Dean Methney with a bedpost in a room at the hospital. So there is proof that that happened. Yeah, there's like documented proof. Documented proof. So then they also were given a mask that was made by one of the bedpost murderers to use as a trigger object. No way. Mm -hmm. It's like in a glass case, but they have one of his art projects that was a mask that they were given to use as a trigger object, which like, you know how well trigger objects can work after Dumas. Yes. Yeah, for sure. They're very, very helpful. Yeah. They're, they're usually pretty effective. Very effective. So then they bring in my bitch, my fave, Michelle Blanger. I love her. I love her so I much. I love her. <laughs> so she's a psychic medium. And she removes her physical sight with a blindfold and she's never told where she's going. They literally drive her in blind and she uses what she describes as like her internal eye to see what she calls stories play out for her. So she literally gets picked up wherever they decide to pick her up, puts on her blindfold in the car, driven in blindfolded, walked in blindfolded, remains blindfolded through her sweep then gets to take off and find out where the fuck she is. Yeah, she does this whole thing completely so blindfolded good. until the very end after she's done all of her, like, psychic work. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's crazy. So they bring her in. They ask her, how's it been so far? And she says, interesting. And then she says, and I, like, I typed all these fucking quotes out because this was crazy. She goes, a pretty clear image of, like, this brooding stone edifice just beyond a gate, which is literally what Trans-Allegheny looks like on the exterior. So she picked up the exterior of the building as she was being driven into the building. Yeah, without Which ever is not the first she's time at. she's done that. No, it's not. So they take her into the Jane Harvey hallway, and all that they tell her is that a woman committed suicide, um, and they need to know the room. And Michelle immediately says, we're on the right floor. Then she says, I just keep seeing like off green or off blue, like a pale room, inviting someone to look into the room. She points and says, I keep wanting to go that way. And she is pointing into a room. Mind you, she can't fucking see. She doesn't know that there's a room right there. And she's pointing right in the doorway. So they lead her in and she says the room is somewhere between a blue and a green, somewhat of an ugly paint. And that is the exact fucking paint color in that room. That is freaky. Exact fucking paint color. She says that it won't, um, she's like, it won't tell me her name, but she pretty much is like, this is, this this is is the the room. She will not tell me her name, but this is the room. It happened here. So then they go to the third floor to the bedpost murder room. And she says that there's a presence up here that was like timid at first. um, And she crouches down on the ground. So she's like down with like one hand on the ground, clearly like, like she's on the fucking ground. And she says, do you want to talk to me? Are you a boy or are you just wearing that shape? How old are you? 
not sure what's going on with this one. So they ask if it's intelligent or active, and she says, I think so. Timid, though. Not chatty. Almost mute. Like, could be violent. I don't know if he's like, can't use his legs, or if he just likes crawling around on the floor. I'm going to move a little bit this way to see. So she takes a couple steps to the side and immediately says, there's a weird pressure. Um, she's like, there's a weird pressure from, and she's like going like this with like going up and down with her hand. So there's like a sense of hanging. It's just something hanging. I don't think it goes all the way down to the floor. Took a wild stab at it. I'd say it's about body shaped. There's, there's an intelligent haunting here. Like this one seems nonverbal and I just, um, I just keep seeing him on the floor, like looking up, like he's from a prone position. So then they tell her what happened in the room. They tell her exactly what happened about the body being hung up and dropped, which is exactly what she's fucking seeing. Yes. And they also inform her that he was allegedly nonverbal. He was? He was allegedly nonverbal. It's not fully confirmed, but if he was not fully nonverbal, he was mostly nonverbal. Oh, my gosh. So that's why he won't talk to her. That's why. Yeah, that's why he won't say anything to her. So she's pretty freaked out. She's pretty uncomfortable. She's kind of like, oh, fuck, because she just realized that she literally just watched his murder in her brain. Yeah, like she was able to see all of it She just saw him, this whole scene play out in her head, and she's like, fuck. So she says, it's safe to say that's still very much here. So Katrina brings up the fact that he was very childlike, the crawling, the hiding, everything's fucking matching up. And she says, he's definitely still here. They tell her one of his murderers just died and that they wonder if he's here. And she says, no, but he came by once and he's not over it. It's almost like he keeps going through it, like it triggered something. So this replay of what had happened to him and he's still here, partly engaged in that replay. So they ask if there's something he likes that they could bring up here. And she tells them to bring a ball and like roll it to him. Um, Jack asks if he would respond to his name um, because remind you, like she doesn't know his name. She doesn't like hasn't moved the blindfold or anything yet. And so he doesn't tell her the name just as like, will he respond to his name? And she says, yeah, he might. So then they go up to the fourth floor and this is when shit gets fucking spicy So Michelle immediately says, there's something that feels forceful here. So they ask if it's intelligent, human, non-human. And Michelle says, it's reacting to me. So I say intelligent. There's a physical imposingness that is part of that assertiveness. If it thinks you should know that it's here, first it will see you and it will get closer She's fucking blindfolded and she's walking. She moves around while she's doing this, but she doesn't know where anybody else is. She's inches away from Katrina's face. Oh no. And Katrina's like, "Mm." (laughs) oh no. And she says, if you don't pay attention to it. And she like reaches out and grabs Katrina's chin. Um, it was a lot. She said, and then she says, I think it will start to be. 
physically in the sense of putting hands on you, possibly a heaviness, that heaviness. And she steps back, sighs, and asks if she can take off the blindfold. Whoa. So, like, when That's she's wild. up there, she essentially just, like, tapped into that fucking spirit perfectly and then replicated what it will do to you. Mm-hmm. To Katrina. To Katrina, who she didn't know where the fuck Katrina was standing. She's blindfolded. Yes. She can't see them. She doesn't know where they are. She has no idea where she's even at. No. And, like, the whole time, like, Katrina and Jack's faces are just like, holy shit. <laughs> like, I don't think she's ever, like, touched one of them during her. Like, they've grabbed her arm to, like, lead her upstairs, lead her down hallways. But, like, she's never, like... It was, it was a lot. It was a lot to watch. Um, so she takes off the blindfold and says, it feels like people have come up, um, have come up with the intent on scaring themselves. It's like they've come up to the fourth floor to scare themselves. And Katrina asks if that's why activities increased up here. And Michelle says, yeah, I mean, like attracts like. Stuff is intelligent enough up here to react to people's expectations and to try and get a rise out of them. So they're like purposely scaring people. And she was like, yeah, oh, hell yeah. So basically whatever is up there will give you the experience that you think you're going to have when you go up there. Yeah, like if you're in the mindset that you're going to get the shit scared out of you, guess what? You're getting the shit scared out of you. That's insane that it's that intelligent to be able to essentially replicate what you're fearing yeah is gonna happen yeah yeah and like this psychic sweep like she's my favorite I love it when they bring her in they have another one and I do like her but Michelle I think is way more interesting to watch and like she I don't know like her sweep was just like because she just hit like point after point after point after point well and she's so spot on without ever knowing But this time it seemed more intense than normal. Like I was just like, holy fuck, as I was watching it. So then they start the investigation. Um, They split up. Katrina goes to Ward R. Jack goes to Ward T. So they're on the fourth floor to start. Okay. And fourth floor, there's footsteps, shadows, scratching, all that kind of stuff. So Katrina's asking it to show that it's here. She asks for knocking. And she says that she feels like she's being observed. Which, if you think about what Michelle had said about the spirit up there. It's going to watch you first. It's going to watch you first. Mm -hmm. So they hear voices and you can fucking hear them on screen. No. You can fucking hear them on screen. And then they switch to the like their base camp really fast. And there's like radio interference. And the producer says, I can't hear anything. So then they try an ITC session and the phone that they use for this um, is dead. So she grabs a charger, plugs it in. She's like, what the fuck? Like, first of all, it shouldn't be dead. It was fully charged. Gets it turned on and it says, database corrupted, file can't be trusted. So immediate technical difficulties. Yes, like immediately off the bat. Immediately an issue. So Zach or Zach, Jack is trying to set up the connect 3D mapping system in the other ward won't turn on. So they are both having technical difficulties and simultaneously, simultaneously, same same time. And Jack says he's like, this shouldn't be happening. The 3D mapper is literally brand new. It's not like an old one that's like glitchy. It's brand fucking new. 
So there's there's no reason why I should be no. acting like this. No. So he like goes over to Katrina and he's like, nothing's working. And she's like, nothing of mine is working. Like everything's fucking shutting off. Like nothing is working up here. And Jack was like, every time we try to boot up the program, it just shuts itself down. So they try to turn it on. It just shuts off. Yeah. So it doesn't ever actually fully turn on or process or anything. No. And like Katrina mentions in an ITM that any time that you have these equipment issues, it tends to be because whatever is up there is gearing up to manifest somehow. Yeah. It's, it's taking not, that energy. It's and, not really a good no. sign. And like the amount of energy that it just sucked from two people's equipment in two different locations. Sketchy. So they decide to go to the bedpost murder room since they can't do anything up there. None of their fucking shit will work up on that floor. So they're like, well, we got to leave. Let's go to the the bedpost murder room. So they have the mask from the murderer. They have child's toys and they have candy. So they walk in, they say, hi, Dean, and set down the toys and candy. And then they put a REM pod next to it. So they decide that they're just going to sit in silence in the room for a second. REM pod immediately goes off. Yikes. So they ask, Dean, is that you? And it goes off again. So they say, Dean, if that's you, we need to know if you're here. And it goes off again. And it's like going off, off, like high readings, like something is touching it, not just near it, but touching it. And they decide, they're like, let's play a game. We'll ask you questions. If the answer is yes, you can set that REM pod off. And it is, if it's no, do nothing. Which like genius. If this guy's Absolutely nonverbal, genius. this is the best way to get him to communicate. Have him touch something. Yeah. Then he doesn't have to try and speak to you. Like you can still communicate. Fantastic idea. Yeah. So they ask, did you die in this room? It beeps. So they go, are you still scared? And there's silence. Do you know the people that killed you? Three beeps. Um, do you get to move through this whole building? Beeps. It's a fun toy, isn't it? Three beeps. Do you like us being here, Dean? Someone to talk to and play with? Three beeps. Um, Dean, is that you affecting our REM pod? It beeps. I'm going to try something, okay? Beeps again. So Katrina grabs the mask and puts it by the REM pod and says, do you know who this is? And there's silence. And then she's like, oh shit. So she's like, did we scare you? Can you come back? He's not here. It's just a piece of art. He's not here. He can't hurt you. And she says, Dean, if we take this away, will you come back and talk to us? So it's still silent. So she's like, okay, I'm taking it away. So she puts it away and she comes back and she says, okay, we put that away so he can't hurt you, okay? And it beeps. So they're all on the floor. Even the cameraman is on the floor. So they're all kind of at the level that Dean typically is at, which Mm -hmm. is like on the floor. So they're all kind of in shock. They feel really bad for him. And then Jack says something that I think is really interesting. And it's a theory that I've heard a couple of times, but like, It kind of finally like clicked when I was watching this. So he says, probably part of why spirits stick around is because they felt like they weren't heard or recognized or acknowledged in the right way. 
Maybe a part of me thinks that if they get enough of that acknowledgement, they can fulfill and move on. And then the fucking REM pod beeps again. No way. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. So yeah. Dean is absolutely intelligent. Absolutely intelligent. He can absolutely interact intelligently with people. Yes. So they decide that they're going to leave. So they tell him good night. They say goodbye to him and they walk out. And they're in the hallway and they're walking away. And like Katrina, you can clearly see like has um, a realization. So she turns back and they have one of those laser grids set up in this hallway. So like if anything walks through the hallway, it'll block out the lights. So this is like the same hallway that they see that shadow figure. So she says, Dean, if you can hear me, I would love it if you could walk back and forth if that is you. And she's pointing down the hall where the laser grid is. She says, um, if that's the person that everyone keeps seeing, walk or crawl back and forth so we can see you on our camera. And then the REM pod in the room goes off again. So remind you, he's answering for yeses. Mm-hmm. So like, she's like, can you like walk across this or whatever? And he's like, yep. He's like, yeah, here you go. Yeah. So then they hear a weird like thumping noise and they try to go find it. And they're asking everyone if it was them And then they find a door and it makes the, they like move the door and it makes the same noise, but this door is too heavy to move in the wind. Well, yeah, it's probably a metal door. So something moved it. So they once again, thank Dean. They say goodbye. Um, So then they have their meeting with Rebecca. They kind of pull up the camera footage of the hallway with the laser grid. And when they were in there doing their REM pod session with Dean, on the camera, you can see the laser grid, and there's a weird light that appears that's not part of the grid, and then it just shrinks back in. So it just like it's like, and it's like a strip of light, and it just like shows up, and then disappears, and just like shrinks out. Weird, super weird. So they are kind of like of the mind of like it's not, it's not a portal not like demonic it's not anything like horrific it's just replaying the pain and trauma that happened here while having a couple intelligent spirits that are still here okay so then i watched the ghost hunters episode which i also enjoy them yes a lot yeah i didn't watch i don't i'm sure zach went there but i didn't watch it because i didn't care yeah i'm sure he did i mean most of them do it's pretty notorious yeah so Ghost Hunters, it's season four, episode nine. And this one was interesting because it was the first time it was professionally investigated. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. They were the first professional organization to like go in and investigate it. That's cool, though. Yeah. So they do talk. They do meet Rebecca. And this one was interesting because they actually go into some different locations than Jack and Katrina went into, Okay, um, which I was kind of why I watched it because I was like, okay, well, this is getting a broader scope of what's happening here. Yeah. So she tells him about the apparition's footsteps. She tells him she's scared to walk around alone. And she talks about the apparition of a man that is seen in a female ward. So people have seen this apparition of a dude in there and they have gone to like, go get security. So like, Hey, like somebody's in the ward, like the female ward. Can you like go check? They go in there. There's no dude in there. There's nobody in there, but suspicious that it's a man. It is suspicious that it's a man in a female ward. Yeah. That's really suspicious. So most likely staffer or who knows. So they then point out 
something on the building that I think is very interesting. And I I was curious about these and I hadn't found anything until I was watching this episode. So on the exterior of the building, there are like faces, like stone faces on the walls. And the Irish stonemasons placed these faces on the exterior because it is supposed to ward off evil spirits and protect the building. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. So, mind you, ghost hunters went a long, long time before Portals to Hell. So they meet with a different tour guide. Her name's Carolyn. She was grabbed. She was pulled down. And the other people on her tour saw her being pulled backwards out of the room that they were in. And one of the girls had to sit down on top of her to get her to stop sliding. And like the, they talked to the other girl and she was like, her arms and her legs were flailing. Like she was not like backpedaling herself out. Like she was being dragged Dragged by something dragged out. So, um, Another tour guide talks to them and says that she was doing a tour one time and she was like, oh shit. And she told her group to wait because somebody was missing from the group. And she was like, I need to go find this other person. They can't be walking around by themselves. And the group's kind of like, what the fuck are you talking about? And she was like, well, that guy that was like with your group, like he's not here. Nobody in their group was missing. Seriously? Nobody in their group was missing. And so she none had of them, accounted for somebody that wasn't a part of their... She was seeing an apparition that was not actually a part of the group, and she just assumed that it was a real human being. Oh, boy. So then they also chat with Sue Parker, and she was a retired aide from the hospital, so she worked there. And she said that when she was working, she would hear people following her all the time, and she would like turn around, and there's nobody there. But she would have clearly heard footsteps walking behind her and she would like turn around and then like a door would slam. But like not there was no there was no human being following her. Yeah, that would have done that. Yeah. So for their investigation, um, they break off like always. Jay and Grant go to the second floor with their thermal cramp camera and they're like telling whatever's there that they can touch them. And then there's a weird like low pitched voice. So they start to try and find it, and then they hear another one. So then they're trying to find that voice, and a little kid laughs right between the two of them. And then they both see a shadow darting from room to room, and when they go to investigate, there is a loud metal bang from the very like last room. So then they go up to the fourth floor. They keep hearing voices. Jay mentions how he does not feel comfortable up there at all. Like the fourth floor has a different vibe than the rest of the building. And Grant sees a whole ass apparition. He sees a man crouch down, put his hands over his head, and then it just like darts away. Jay also saw it at the same fucking time and said that it looked like a man in a hospital gown that just crouched down and like scuttled away from them. And like the two of them don't typically see things. No, let alone the same thing. They both saw the exact same thing at the exact same time. So they were both kind of just like, holy shit. Um, But that was kind of like all that they got up there. So um, their other, some of their other investigators, uh, Christian, Joe and Chris, um, they, 
are on the fourth floor and they start seeing random lights. So there's like a light down here and there's like a light down here, but it's like not anybody anybody's flashlights and like they don't know where it's coming from. There's nobody else up there. And all that that made me think of was the Portals to Hell episode where they had the weird light manifestation. Oh, yeah. So that's like two people that have had some type of weird light manifestation in this building. Yeah, in this building that are, I mean, kind of similar in some aspects. Yeah, in some aspects. So the three of them keep hearing footsteps and then they also hear a woman's voice. And Tango and Steve are in the like forensic area, which is where they what they turned into like the female ward and they hear a female laugh. So they decide to send Tango into the other building to see if maybe somebody laughing in the other building could carry over. Okay, smart. Like thinking maybe it was like um, Kristen or Chris because they're both females. They were like, well, maybe one of them laughed and we could just hear it. So Tango goes outside and he's like making this horrible laugh like repeatedly over and over and over again. Steve can't hear anything. It does not carry over at all. So something in that building like there was something in the building with them that laughed and they heard it and they heard it. It was not anything outside. It was not anything in the other building. It was in there with them. So when Tango is outside, Steve starts hearing walking. Like he's hearing footsteps in this building that he's alone in. And he is like convinced that he's like somebody else is in there. So he starts kind of like wandering around and he's completely alone. So Tango comes back in, they start hearing weird noises and they decide to follow them, but like the noises keep moving and then they find these tunnels. So they're like, oh shit, maybe like something is like in, like ran into these tunnels, like whatever. So they go into the tunnels and they're like creeping around and like, there's no way that something could get through the tunnels, like even an animal without them having seen, seen it. They would, yeah, they would have had to see it to get in there. No clue. No fucking clue what those noises were. That's freaky. Yeah. And then the two girls go to like the Civil War area and Kristen keeps seeing shadows and they both keep hearing either something dripping or footsteps, but they can't find anything that's like dripping. Can't find any footsteps like or like they can't like determine whose footsteps like nothing. Like what's making that noise? Not a clue. So Joe and Kristen go to the third floor and Kristen gets like a cold chill on her neck and then hears something like a, like a weird noise right in her ear, but Joe doesn't hear it. So it's like something like leaned over behind her and like said something in her ear, but she couldn't figure out what it said. Yeah. But not loud enough for anybody else to hear it. No. So she was like a little freaked out. So they're like walking away and she's like rattled. And then fucking Jay jumps out and scares her. Of course he does. (laughs) Has no clue that she just had like a wacky experience that like rattled her. Mm -hmm. And like he just pops out of nowhere. So they go back and they start listening to the evidence and they capture the sounds that Steve and Tango heard. It's like a boom, boom. There's shuffling noises and they clearly catch the female laugh. They do. Mm-hmm. So they also catch the voice that Jay and Grant were hearing. Um, they also catch a childlike voice or a female voice. They catch a sound um, of a door like hitting the door jam. Um, in the Civil War section, they actually left a recorder alone. And randomly, when there's nobody in that area, there's a very loud 
No way. Like a deep exhale right next to it. And it's kind of spooky. Like it's like clearly something just went. (sighs) I don't like like that. I don't like that. (laughs) Yeah. So they also catch a voice saying, go home. Mm -hmm. And then they catch a young girl and they're saying that it sounds like she's laughing, but I'm not going to lie to you. It sounded like a little girl saying, oh, hello. No, it didn't. No, please. No. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So first question, I know that you're going to say, yes, it's haunted. So do you think that it is intelligent residual? What do you think is fucking happening? I think there's a mix. Obviously there are a handful of, um, intelligent spirits there dean being one of them he can intelligently like communicate with people yeah him being like the main one yes i also do think that there's residual stuff like you're hearing footsteps things like that i think in a place like this where there were so many people for so long there has to be some residual stuff going on yeah for sure yeah do you think that it is just like human spirits do you think that there's something else that one's tough because the like blob tentacle thing kind of freaks me out. I, obviously, that's not anything that's human, but there's not a ton of evidence one way or the other. Fair. So that one's a little hard for me to say yes or no. That's fair. I think potentially, but I don't think that there's been a ton of evidence. To say yes. To say yes. Would you go there? Potentially. Okay. Potentially. Okay. It that's might take fair. some convincing, but. <laughs> okay, that's fair. What do you think? Um, Clearly haunted. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. Um, I would agree. I think that there are several spirits that are probably stuck there, but then I think the rest of it is essentially stone tape theory, horrific moments that have just been recorded by the courts in the building and are just being replayed over and over. Um, What I find really interesting is that Dean, Dean's spirit is both trapped in a residual haunt, but he is an intelligent haunt as well. I think that's really fascinating. Yeah. Um, I think that's really fascinating that like essentially he's both. That's not normal. No, it's not. Um, I don't necessarily think, I don't think that I, I don't know. I don't think that it's like anything bad really. I think if anything whatever's on the fourth floor could be some type of like trickster spirit. The fact that it will adapt its haunting depending on what your expectations of it are is very trickster energy to me. Yeah, that's true. I would not say that it's a portal. I don't think that it's like anything crazy. I think that it's just a building that has some horrific history and a lot of brutality and a lot of death and suffering that has just retained a lot of that within its walls. But I don't think that it ever like opened anything else up. Yeah. I don't think so either because like, like like I said, there's not enough there. People haven't had enough experiences that would be like demonic, like or portal like. Well, people have gotten like scratched, pushed. There was the girl that did get fucking drug. But part of me wonders, is that one of the more violent patients that was inside there was that potentially one of the doctors nurses or somebody that's like not liking what they're doing i think that there's like a lot of other potential explanations for that but um like maybe 
maybe there's something there, but I feel like if there was something there that was like feeding off of the, the horrible things that have happened there, I don't really feel like Dean would really be there. No, I don't think so. I and think I don't he would think you'd have, yeah, I think he would get suppressed. Um, and I don't think you'd really have like the interactions with Lily, which like Lily, let's be honest, it could be something darker child, yes. whatever. Um, but I think that it's just kind of like, unfortunately, a lot of people that lived there, died there and didn't move on and can't and yeah. can't. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think it's anything really much more than that. So like I would totally go. Yeah, I would agree with you. I would totally go. Um, so yeah, that was trans Allegheny lunatic asylum. I told you it wasn't going to be as bad. That wasn't, I mean, the history part was probably the worst part. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. I just like knew that I couldn't do this without talking about lobotomies mm-hmm. and Freeman. Um, especially because the next two places that we are going to cover also have ties to that. Okay. Cause we're going to go to rolling hills asylum next week i've heard of that one as well yes and then the week after that we're going to waverly hills sanatorium okay so like hitting we've got some a, biggies yeah we've got a few big hitters on the list yeah but yeah i mean i think trans allegheny is mainly just scary because of the history less because of the type of spirits yeah i would agree with you i agree yeah i would i would go we need eight friends we need eight friends applications are now open (laughs) because clearly we can't make friends ourselves i mean Brittany would come with us hey Brittany, if you're listening you want to (laughs) go we could take her i'm sure i could scrounge up no i could probably only scrounge up like four people that would go with us i don't even know four people so that's fair that's fair (laughs) all right well this has been lady in black